Well, turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we'll begin today. We have been doing a series the month of January called Rise Up. Can, can you say that with me? Rise Up. It's a call to significance. It has been a challenge that I have been endeavoring to bring to you for this month to make a difference with your life, to remind you that God has ordained that you have a life of significance, that your life, uh, it it matters, that God has something for you to do. And, And it's been a challenge to live your life in a fashion that it's making a mark on this world for Christ. Last week, you may recall, if we were here, you were here, we talked about the word obstacles. And an obstacle, if you can think of an obstacle course where there's things to get over, things to get around, things to get under, things to get through, there are things that stand in the way, uh, things between you and what God would have you to do. We saw it in Nehemiah last week. We saw that he had an obstacle of discouragement. He had a lot of people that had been waiting for it decades, 70 years actually, since the work of God had kind of come to a standstill in Jerusalem. Uh, he was to go and help them rebuild, finish their city, build the wall around the city of protection, kind of jumpstart the people of God again. It was his task, but they were discouraged. It was an obstacle he had to get beyond. He also faced the obstacle of injustice. Remember we talked about last week where some of the rich were mistreating some of those that were poor by the interest that they charged. We also talked last week about a struggle that he faced, a, an obstacle within his own life, whether he would give up his rights or demand them. But last week it was about obstacles. This week it's about opposition. Can you say opposition? Let's look this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9 Uh, Now, again, this is very early in the book of Nehemiah, obviously chapter 2, but there's a theme of opposition that's introduced that will run through the pages of this entire book. Uh, When I met the governors across the river. Now, we have Nehemiah. He's left Jerusalem. He is crossing the river Euphrates. He's en route back to uh, Jerusalem from Persia, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Well, as soon as he makes a step into the country, he showed them the king's letters which is a way of saying the king in Persia basically said, this, this guy is going under my authority. Uh, I, I give him the right to get the lumber and all the materials he needs for this great project. Well, as soon as he gets across the river, he shows the letters. But verse 10 says, A man named Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, when they heard about this, they were what? They were very upset and angry. Think about this, upset and angry that anyone would come to look after the interests of the people of Israel. Now, you would think that everyone would be in agreement when you're going to do something good. I mean, when you're going to try to do something for God, when when you want to make a difference with your life, you would think that everybody would applaud and and, and congratulate you. But I'm telling you, it's not the case. When you're endeavoring to do something for God, people will oppose you. Now, here's my question. Sanballat and Nehemiah, this is before he ever got to the city. They were somehow connected to people in government. Uh, They knew about this at an early stage. And they were, Sanballat and Tobiah, they were locked into the culture. And they were resistant against the people of God. Now, here's my question to you. Do you think there was a spiritual force behind their resistance? Now, think about it. Was it just the fact that, well, it could have been economic, it could have been political, it could have been prejudice, it could have been a long list of things. But my question to you this morning is, was it something spiritual behind their opposition? I believe it was. I will show you this morning as we look into the Bible that you have an enemy in the Scripture. He's called Satan. He's called the devil. He's called the the accuser of the brethren. He is our enemy in Scripture. He's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and, and destroy. 
And, and he stands in opposition against us. And I want you to see this morning as we kind of take a broad look first at Scripture that the Bible does teach that there is a, a genuine spiritual being. That when we speak of evil, it's not mythology. When we speak of one named Satan, it's not just, you know, something that we, because we're too stupid to understand how things really are. No, the Bible teaches that there literally is one, a spiritual being called Satan. He has minions of, uh, uh, of demons, of kind of fallen angels that are helpers, and they're strategically at work in culture and society to oppose God's work on the earth. Now, you see it started in Genesis. You see its trail all the way through the book of Revelation. But as we look into it today, I want you to think for your own life, is there some way that Satan is trying to oppose me? Is there something as I try to make my marriage work, as I try to get my business off the ground, as I try to do a ministry, as I try to have influence on a person, be they someone that's lost or someone that I'm trying to to help in some way, is it possible that there is spiritual opposition behind that? And if so, how do I respond? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I've entitled it Opposition. It's a two-part message. I'll pick up the next one in a couple weeks from today because you will find that opposition starts in the early pages of Nehemiah and it goes all the way to the end of the book, which tells me if I'm trying to serve God and make a difference for my life, there's always a constant enemy that's there. The New Testament tells us that Satan is like a, a a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and the Scripture says we're to resist him. Now, as we look into this, I want you to see that Satan is not like, you know, some guy named Damien in the Exorcist movie, you know, that head spins around and, and, you know, watches, watches, uh, watches vampire movies and reads about Hitler. I mean, I mean, demonic opposition is not like that. It happens, it happens in very unassuming ways. So let's kind of explore the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 2, let me first say this, is that Satan is your enemy and he wants to stop God's work in your life. Now, look at a New Testament scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we wanted very much to see you and tried hard to do so. Paul is the apostle. He founded the church there in Thessalonica. He said, I wanted to come to you, and I tried more than once. But what's it say? But... Isn't that interesting? I, as the the apostle, I wanted to come and encourage the church, but I couldn't get there on multiple occasions because Satan stopped me. Now, he didn't tell us how, but it could have been through weather problems, It could have been through persecution and opposition. You know, the Jews hated Paul. Uh, We don't know what it was. He could have been sick. There are lots of things that we just see as natural issues, as things going on in the world around us. But I'll suggest to you the Bible says that there's some spiritual influence behind many of them. Look at another scripture, Luke 22. And let me say this to you. Satan uses people to do his dirty work. Don't look around now. You may see one. No, just kidding. Just kidding. But Satan uses people to do his dirty work. Luke 22, verse 3, this kind of just gets right in your face. Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot. Satan entered Judas, and then he conferred with the chief priests how they might betray him to them. How did that happen? What did it look like? Well, we know the background, but, but, but likely there was nothing that changed on his face other than perhaps he got angry at Jesus. You see, it was in the latter stages of Jesus' life. A woman had come to Christ and anointed his, his, his feet for burial. In other words, he's about to be crucified, and she feels led, led of God. She takes a year's wages, buys this expensive 
perfume, this lotion, and she pours it on his feet. And Judas looked at it and said, what a waste. We could have sold this, given the money to the poor to help them. But the Bible tells us that Judas was not concerned for the poor, but he was a thief and he would help himself to what was in the money bag. Well, when that happened, Jesus rebuked Judas publicly and he said, leave this woman alone. What she's been done is as a memorial to me, the poor you're going to have with you always. She's preparing my burial. Judas was so enraged by the rebuke because he had touched his money God, he got up and left. And guess where he went? To the chief priest to betray Christ. And the Bible says at that moment, Satan came into his life. So I want you to see how he became a pawn in the hand of the evil one to, to in some way oppose the work of God. Now, the Old Testament in Chronicles tells us that King David, a man after God's own heart, but the Bible says Satan incited him to take a census or to count the children of Israel. And it was to basically rely on the army rather than God. And it brought great trouble to the nation. But here's another one. Notice the passage that says in Second um, Corinthians chapter 11. It says, such men are false apostles disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So now we're talking about a Christian who's masquerading, a false believer, a false Christian leader. But look at verse 14. Isn't it interesting? It says, for even Satan, as an angel of light, Satan somehow pretends to be something he's not. Now, didn't that happen in the Garden of Eden? It's reason to believe that if the snake was cursed to be on its belly, that in that day maybe he had a little snake feet and he kind of walked around and he wasn't this venomous thing you were scared of. Uh, have you ever seen a snake somewhere when you saw it? You just, you know, and it, well, all that, that was not going on in Eden because this snake was having a conversation with Eve and Satan somehow used the snake to undermine what God's will was in their lives. Well, here we see it happen again. Satan is disguising himself. And verse 15, now you can't get away from this. It's no surprise if Satan's servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So here the devil is using a fake preacher, a fake leader who masquerades as a believer, but he's using him to somehow hinder the work of God. So here, undeniably in Scripture, we see that Satan is trying to oppose us. He uses people to be able to do it. Now, I'll suggest to you that in the book of Nehemiah, two people that he's using are named Sanballat and Tobiah. Now, we want to explore their story with his background. And what I want to look at this morning is three strategies that Satan uses to try to stop the work of God. And I think you can see some parallels in your own life as we look at this. Now, we'll get three this morning, and Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we'll pick up the last three or four. But let's start Nehemiah chapter 2. The first strategy our Satan will try to do is he'll try to use somebody to make fun of you to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. He'll simply get people laughing at you and also questioning your motive. Now, verse 18, Nehemiah chapter 2, as soon as Nehemiah gets back to the city, the opposition starts. Let's start rebuilding. But verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah heard about it, what's it say? They made fun of us and did what? Okay, so these people of power, these people of influence, these officials come in and they're laughing at them. And they said, what are you doing? Are you turning against the king? So now they're perverting the facts a little bit. They're trying to question their motivation. 
Okay, so here we see the attack. They're laughing at them. They're questioning their motives. And verse 20 is the response. And in each of these three passages this morning, we're going to see what the opposition did, but what Nehemiah did, how he responded. After the laughter, he answered them, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But you, Sanballat and Tobiah, have no share, no claim, and no memorial in Jerusalem. Now, let's kind of see as we see people take sides. Let's go back to the laughter idea. How many, how many like for people to laugh at you and make fun of you? Could I see your hand? Okay. How many people are bothered when people make fun of you? How many people wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? Thank you. You can buy lunch for everybody. What is your name back there anyway? Yeah, okay. All right, well, anyway, people laugh. Nobody likes to be made fun of in life. Okay, how about this, young people? Let's say you get off the school bus and you're going home with a friend or, or maybe your friend takes you home and lo and behold, you get home about 3.30 and the, their, their parents are not going to get there till 5.30. And you get there and it's not just you and your girlfriend, it's two or three boys from the neighborhood and they're over there and they bring some marijuana. And then you say, well, look, I know where dad keeps his liquor or he just bought a brand new case of beer. He won't miss a few cans of it. So they pop the top, they're lighting up, and there you are, little Christian girl, sitting in that circle. And you know what your mom and dad said. You know what the D.A.R.E. program said. You know what your pastor have said about drinking and drugs. And then they offer you some and you say, no, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't smoke. I don't do that. And what do they do? Oh, come on, you big sissy. Come on. Everybody's doing it. And they start picking at you. They start making fun of you. They start saying something's wrong with you. Come on. What are, don't be a prude. Come on. Everybody does this. Come on. And they start laughing at you. Is it just possible that Satan could be using them to try to tear you down in your Christian life? To try to stop you from your path of holiness? To try to stop you from purity? To try to stop you from the path that God would have? Is it just possible that the power of laughter has that much power? You know, the Bible tells us, and it uses a phrase about this called pleasing people. In Nehemiah, Galatians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle said, Do you think I'm trying to make people accept me? No, God is the one I'm trying to please. If I still wanted to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So here's what I want to tell you. None of us, I'm 54 years old. I know I don't look it, but I am 54 years of age. You didn't have to laugh. Thank you anyway. Um, where was I? I can't remember that either. All right, 54. Nobody likes to be laughed at. But it's a trick to try to get you to be a people pleaser to stop the path you're going on. Now, let me say this, though. Not everybody who opposes you is the devil behind them. Not everybody who disagrees you. I know you think sometimes your mother-in-law, come on, is possessed when she's trying to tell you how to take care of the baby or how to take care of your house. But that does not mean because she disagrees with your style that the devil is in her. Come on, tell your wife, honey, I know that's not true. I might have said that your mom has the devil in her, but she doesn't. I was just kidding. But some people do. Not everybody that disagrees with you has some spiritual agenda. But some do. And this is where we need to have discernment. And discernment in the Bible is simply a way where God shows us, either through the Scripture or through the fruit of the person's life or some inner sense of knowing that this is right or this is wrong. Now, that's very key in this. Now, let's look at Nehemiah's response. What did Nehemiah do when they laughed at him and questioned their motives? Pretty key, verse 20. It's almost like he ignored them. And that's pretty key because what a person wants to do is pull you off track 
and he just ignored them. Verse 20, he he says, I answered them, God will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but you've got nothing to do with us. Now, think of that phrase just a moment. First of all, I want you to know that he discerned that they were his enemies and that they wouldn't change their minds. Now, that's very key because you're going to see the the tenor of Scripture is that we want to do our best to convert those who are standing against God. Come on, not attack them or not hurt them. We want to do our best to help them see the light as we have seen the light. But if they're clearly going to be in opposition to what God wants to do, he was pretty clear he didn't go along with them. He didn't give them a place. He didn't invite them in, but he discerned who they were. He ignored them when they questioned his motive. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to justify himself. He just ignored them. He didn't invite them to be a part. He didn't appease them or he didn't befriend them. But what he did is he kept himself focused on his task. Now, this is huge because all opposition tries to do is get you to stop what God wants you to do. And what I want to encourage you, my friend, to see is if God has called you to do something, don't let anything stand in your way. Because he kept his eyes on God. He told told him in verse 20, he said, God will give us success. So it's almost as if he saw beyond the opposition and he saw God and he kept going forwards and he began to build. So that's the first strategy, making fun of you. But let's look at the second one. If that doesn't work, how many know your enemies will not stop coming? If someone has a spiritual motivation to stop you, they will not stop coming. You'll see that it starts in Nehemiah chapter 2 and it goes all the way to the end of the book. But here's something else you'll see. Oftentimes, the strategy will increase in its intensity. First, they laugh at you, but notice what happens next. He'll use anger and then they'll try to belittle you. To belittle you makes make you feel small, make you feel stupid, make you feel like you're unimportant. Look in chapter 4 verse 1. Sanballat became very angry that we were rebuilding the wall. Now, I want you to think, have you ever been intimidated by a person of power? Someone in authority, someone of wealth, someone that was, you know, you looked up to or or when they came in? You know, you, you can read books that can tell you how to dress for success, but it'll tell you how to look when you want to intimidate people. Come on, why are you being so religious this morning? You got stuff in your closet. When you want to get the upper hand, you know what you're going to wear. Okay, all right. Well, think about the people that do that to you. Think about the way they look when they come in the room. Think about, you know, you're cutting up and you're laughing and caring, and all of a sudden, the boss walks in. And all of a sudden, you see that look in her eyes and her glasses are down on her nose just a little bit, and you know shut your mouth. Okay, this is what I'm talking about now, all right? Whether it's a woman, whether it's a man, whoever it is, whether they're, you know, an employee at work, a family member. I mean, no intimidation comes in many ways, but he tried to use this anger, and he was angry they're rebuilding the wall. Now, in this most interesting, you would think that someone that was simply trying to do something good would be applauded. That video that you saw, I've seen it a half a dozen times, and it brings tears to my eyes every time I see it. But do you realize there's people in America today that hate what that film communicated? They hate it. If they had the power, they would remove it from YouTube. They would prevent her from sharing that because of the visceral hatred that's evoked around the subject. It's not logical. It's not personal. It's spiritual. He's angry they're rebuilding the wall. And notice what he did. He flew into a rage. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. So now he's telling him, listen to what he says. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews 
think they're doing. It's a pressure. And, and it filters through our culture. You know, Christians will often stand for things that the culture is vehemently against. Do you remember the Super Bowl last year? Focus on the Family had, a, had an ad, for, but with Tim Tebow in it. You remember it was, a, it was a pro-life ad? It wasn't much to it, you know, for a million bucks. But yet the world, those that were at the forefront of abortion, were violently against it. And one of the leaders of the abortion movement even said, Tim Tebow's mom made the wrong choice. Now, can you imagine that? Here's this kid. He, he had health problems. He, he should have been aborted, but he wasn't. His mom kept him. Lo and behold, he be Heisman Trophy winner. Now he's a professional football player. And, and this person is so consumed by her defense of abortion that she would hate the fact that Tim Tebow was even alive. So it's not logical. And, and, and in America today, this language of hate has been turned around. For example, if I, were to, if I were to say, hate speech is what's used. And for example, if I were to say that I believe marriage should be between a man and a woman in a monogamous relationship, a covenant that's, that lasts the rest of their days. I believe God's blessed sexual intimacy between a man and a woman, but outside of that, it's a sin. I, I, there's people in our culture that would say that's hate speech. It's hate speech. Because same-sex marriage is a right for every person. And if you don't like it, I'll move from tolerance to demanding you to shut your mouth. Well, let me tell you what I believe it's to be. I believe it's love speech. Because I care enough about someone to tell them the truth. Because, listen, if God says something was sinful in Genesis all the way through the end of the New Testament, it just kind of makes sense to me that one day you're going to stand before God and have to give an account for something that maybe you could be spared from. So, so I love you enough to tell you the truth even if you want to turn it around and tell me that I hate you for saying it. And that's a great way to shut people up. And you know it's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a toughie in America today. You know people are losing their jobs in America today because outside of work, on a personal blog or a personal website, they simply make the statement, I believe marriage is to be a, between a man and a woman. And company officers say, we don't want hatred in our company. It's a volatile issue in America today. You're pretty quiet. I want you to be listening, though, because I want you to see that there's a spiritual influence behind this. And that does not make us superior, self-righteous, or, or having anything that we're better than anybody else. Let me know if you simply hold the truth in your hand, the world may not like you. Think with me this morning. Let's keep going. Verse 4, his response, I prayed, hear us, God, for we're being mocked. Now, I, I've never prayed. This is a pretty tough prayer here. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. Verse 5, don't blot out their sins. They've provoked you to anger in front of the builders. But at last the wall was completed to half its height. Now, anger and rage. Why did Sanballat hate them so much? He'd never met Nehemiah. Listen, if, if people get to know me, I'm a pretty nice guy. But if you just heard me say this on the radio, oh, we have people call up for our little radio spot sometimes, and boy, they're not happy. Where does the hatred come from? I made a comment on a radio spot uh, several, several weeks ago. It, it was an article, literally, it was research from New American Magazine, OneNewsNow.com, that the PepsiCo Corporation that makes Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Tropicana, uh, Lipton, that they use research from a company that takes aborted, ab aborted fetal cells, the kidney cells, and their research helps them to determine 
what would be a better flavor enhancer for the beverage. Okay, that's where the slippery slope of abortion is taking us, that they'll use those kidney cells because, by the way, I mean, it's just the product of conception, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the way the world thinks. It's not a real human being. But the research will show me what's going to taste better so I can have a more competitive edge. That's all I said on the radio. Woo, somebody was upset. Well, truth is truth. And my heart and your heart is to help people and warn them. Listen, if I come through your neighborhood and I see your house is on fire and it's 2 in the morning, I'm not going to sit in the car and say, oh, gosh, you know, I, I, if I went and knocked on their door, blew my horn, I'd, I'd wake all the neighbors up and, and they need their sleep. No. You know they had kids. You'd go to blowing the horn. You'd have somebody call 911. You'd bang on the door. You'd even try to get in their house and say, hey, it's me, it's me. Help, your house is on fire. Well, why wouldn't I do the same thing for your eternal soul? But why did Sanballat hate them? Jesus told us this in John 15. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Now listen. But I have chosen you out of the world so you don't belong to it. That's why the world hates you. See, you as a Christian, just because you're a Christian, you'll be hated. I mean, that's, that's what the Bible says. It's not just because... He, now, Jesus told us, don't hate them back. Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus said, love your enemies and do what? Yeah, pray for those that persecute you. So we should not respond in kind, even if you might feel like it. Notice Nehemiah's response, verse 4, he provided leadership. Now, you may be endeavoring to do something for God, and it's not just you on your own. You're with a group of people. His leadership was, is he led them in prayer, but then he stayed focused on the task of rebuilding. And this is so key. When somebody's trying to intimidate you, they're trying to stop you. And whether it's a lawsuit, whether it's somebody throwing a brick through your window and saying, stop what you're doing, whether it's someone that leaves a threatening phone call, or whatever they do, they're trying to intimidate you. But Nehemiah saw what he was doing as a call from God. And what he was doing for God was more important than what it might cost him. See, this is what they were facing in life. But here's what I want you to know. Listen, their enemies kept coming. They had built the wall to half its height, I believe, but the enemies now increased the intensity of their attack. And I'll suggest to you, they may do the same thing to you as well. Notice the first thing they did, they laughed at them, and then they got angry and threw a fit of rage to intimidate them. But notice now chapter 4, verse 7. They used threats of violence to send confusion. Can you see this happening in the world today? Things that you stand for as a believer... It's simply intended to help people. But the world comes against you to do everything in its power to stop you. They could use... How many of you just because something may be legal doesn't make it morally right? How many of you may have a right to do something in society, but just because society condones it doesn't mean that God condones it? Well, now those that were behind stopping him, now violence comes into play. Notice chapter 4, verse 7. When Sanballat and Tobiah heard the work was going ahead, they were, say it with me, furious. And then they made plans to fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. So it escalates. As I read this, I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask you a question. What do the radical elements of the abortion movement, the homosexual movement, Islam, and the Occupy movement have in common? 
they're willing to use violence. Now, look, I know you may support Occupy. Listen, I'm against greed and I'm against, you know, you know, some people getting away with being crooked and taking money that they shouldn't take. And listen, everybody knows that's wrong. But George Soros just this week was predicting that in America we'd have riots on the street just like they did in Greece when America confronts the economic realities and the Occupy movement will be a part of it. Now, that's his words, not mine. I'm telling you, our culture has a way of escalating violence or at least the threat of it to get their way. I read an article yesterday and a reporter said he was going through mosques in America. True story. Mosques in America. And he identified the three most... um, Uh, mosques that were spewing hatred of America. And one was in Nashville, Tennessee. He went in the bookstore. He saw books that children were being taught about jihad, just like they are in Saudi Arabia. He even found that they were promoting some of the same things that you see like it's overseas, but almost protected in America. There was a seven-year-old girl he found that was in an arranged marriage. Seven! In an arranged marriage under Sharia law. So he reported it to the local authorities. And here's what they said. We're not going to deal with this because we know they'll file a lawsuit against us and we can't afford it. So we're not going to say anything about it because we know it would stir too much controversy. And why is that? Because there's violence and there's the use of the law and intimidation. Come on. And it's too costly. I'm just telling you, it's out there in the world like it or leave it, but it's out there in the world. That's the same thing Sanballat and Tobiah were doing. So I would suggest to you that maybe there's a spiritual force behind it. And let me encourage you, when you see opposition, remember Ephesians 6 that it tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, people are not the problem, but against the powers, principalities, and spiritual wickedness, the rulers of darkness in high places, which means Satan uses people like pawns on a chess table to do his work, and they may not be aware that they're being used. Hence, we should have compassion. Notice verse 11, or verse 9, rather. uh, We prayed to God. Here's his response. Constant in prayer, and we guarded the city to protect ourselves. Verse 11, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, we're going to swoop down on them, kill them, and end their work. You've gotten awful quiet on me this morning. These are followers of God. These are believers. Now, verse 13, here's his response to that. I placed armed guards in the exposed areas. Verse 14, but then I said, he encouraged the people, don't be afraid of the enemy, but remember the Lord. Can you say that? Don't be afraid, but remember the Lord who's great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And verse 15 is so powerful. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. So, once again, God gives victory, but they had to be in the middle of the fight. I wish God wouldn't allow these things to happen. I wish everything would be happy and everybody would be nice and loving, but the problem is sometimes opposition just gets evil. You don't believe that? There's violence around the world going on today. We've had a pastor from the Middle East, a converted Muslim has been in our pulpit before. He's told us, listen, about being shot dead because he was a Christian and left in the street to die. He's told us about being in one of their prisons where they literally pulled his teeth out with a pair of pliers to try to make him renounce Christianity. 
Listen, Christians are fleeing the Islamic nations in the Middle East trying to find a safe haven right now. You know it's true. What was supposed to be a uprising of democracy in the spring, they're all being replaced now with dictators, more dictators in Sharia law. I mean, it's the world that we live in today. There's violence that's out in that world trying to accomplish a spiritual person purpose. You know our churches that we support in India. Many of them had their churches burned down simply because they were Christians. So there's violence in the world that we live today that's not because you're a bad person, but it's because simply you've identified with the cause of Christ. And the Bible says Satan is a thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did he do? Nehemiah's response, verse 9. Look at the scripture again. We prayed and we guarded the city. So what's his response? Prayer and self-defense. Prayer and self-defense. Now, let me kind of give you something shocking. How many know Jesus told us to love our enemies and turn? But do you know he also told you something else? Luke chapter 22, verse 36. Put it on the screen because you won't believe me. Jesus said, if you don't... And I'm sure that was to peel apples with. No, it was for self-defense. Listen. It was for self-defense. Your first defense is prayer and trust, but it is not a bad thing, listen, to stand for yourself. It's not a bad thing to send your child to, a, you know, a whatever, karate or some school to defend themselves. Not to start fights, but to protect yourself. Listen, I believe it's a good thing to have a license for a concealed weapon. Why do you think that there's a deputy standing in the hall during church services? He's not out trying to get people who have outstanding warrants. And he's not after you either, okay? But if somebody tried to hurt you, come on. We want to protect you. Because violence happens in churches all over America. Now, let me say this. Even though I believe in self-defense, I don't believe we're supposed to be like Dirty Harry trying to find somebody to make my day. Come on. Can we be this real in church? Or we could just talk about God. I think the Bible filters its way into the life that we live today. Listen, let me close this this morning. The first thing, though, that Nehemiah did is he didn't tell him to get your pistol. Nehemiah said, you pray. And you believe God and you keep working. You keep focused on the task. You keep doing what God has called you to do. You defend yourself, but hopefully you'll never have to use it. Come on. You defend yourself. You defend your family. But the bottom line is he trusted in God, and he kept focused on what God called him to do. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Great scripture to kind of close what we're doing today. And again, Lord willing, we'll pick this up in a couple weeks. Look at verse 24. The Lord's servant, and how many people are the Lord's servant? Let me see your hand here. Yeah, all of us. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. In other words, you're not supposed to be the argumenter. You're not supposed to be the big fighter on Facebook. Come on, how many know that's not going to convert anybody? Don't quarrel, but instead be what? Kind to everyone. Able to teach and not resentful. Now listen to this verse. Those who oppose you, you must gently instruct. Why? In the hope that God will grant them repentance. 
leading to the knowledge of the truth. Because here's the issue. The person that's behind the person that's causing the problem is not the problem. It's the spiritual force behind them. And your goal is to try to lead that person to Christ. Your goal is to pray and believe and talk and share Scripture that the same God who showed His love in your heart will show His love in their heart. That's what your goal is. Notice what else he says. He says, uh, if this happens, verse 26, that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Don't you think that's what Sanballat and Tobiah were doing? Don't you think that those that are so pushed so strongly against abortion and same-sex marriage and, you know, all the things in our society that are against the Bible, don't you think that there's perhaps a spirit that's behind them trying to get them to do things that are against what God wants to do? And if you ever have to bump heads with one of them, you do it in Christian love, you do it with kindness, you do it with prayer, with the goal of trying to turn their hearts to a loving Savior. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet? We want to close in prayer this morning. And I, as I have been preaching this morning, sharing the scripture, I would imagine that in many, many of our lives this morning, what I have been saying has been resonating with you. I would imagine this morning for many in this room that you'd be here this morning and say, I feel that opposition, Pastor. It's in my life. It's in my family. It's coming against me. It's in my business. It's just kind of out there. It's, it's in my ministry. The things that I'm trying to do for God, I feel that opposition. Maybe you're here today and you'll say, I, I don't know if it's opposition, but I know the devil is after me. I know he is harassing me. He is harassing my mind. He's harassing my f- physical body. He's harassing my finances. And, and I know there's some spiritual opposition in my life. I know I'm under attack. And uh, I, want, I, want, I need prayer this morning. How many honest enough to say, man, that's me. I feel like Satan is, is after my life in some way. Come on, wave your hand at me this morning. I feel like Satan is after me in some fashion. Here's how we want to close this morning. We would like to pray for you because I believe that the power of God is greater. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Romans that says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And, and, and we want to pray with you this morning. And believe God with you that God will help you, number one, be strong until it's over. Keep focused on the task, but that God will help that attack come to an end. So I just want to invite you, if you're here today, and say, Pastor, that's me. I want prayer. Come on up to the front. Let's let us pray for you now. Come on quickly. Many of you that raised your hands, we want to believe God. We're going to put our faith with yours this morning. Here's where we're going to close. Come on up. He's attacking you. There's opposition, your family, your home, your business, your finances, your mind. Who knows where it is? But you just feel like the enemy is out there, and you want somebody to stand with you to believe God that God's going to bring freedom in your life, that God's going to help you that God's going to help you resist that thing and that God's going to make you strong. Because I want to tell you, God is for you and God is not against you. How many know the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? And this is not a feeling we're talking about. We're talking about engaging by faith, believing God that when people pray, something big will happen in your life because you will get through it. This thing will be over. I mean, no, it was not a permanent situation in Sanballat's life. It was not permanent for Nehemiah, but it was a season they had to walk through. And we're going to join you in prayer. 
Listen, I want a Christian to come and stand behind everybody that's up here. I want lady with the ladies, come on. I need a lot of believers up here, girls with the girls, and, and hang on before you pray. But we're going to pray for you before we go. If you want to talk to them and tell them what's going on, you can. You don't have to. But I think sometimes our prayer, the prayer of agreement, is more powerful if we know what we're praying for. But as you've got a Christian coming, let me ask this last question. If you're here this morning and you'll say, Pastor, I just need to get right with God today. My life is not where it needs to be in Christ. I need God's forgiveness. I, I need to get on track with God. I want to put my life in His hands. I need to become a Christian. I want to become a follower of Christ. I want to make that step today. Anyone this morning, raise your hand and say, Pray for me, Pastor. I want to get right with God this morning. I want to put my trust in Christ. All right. Praise the Lord. Listen, I want you guys just to start praying right now. We're going to just begin worshiping Pastor Nick, praying for the anointing of God's Holy Spirit just to come and break these strongholds that are in our friends' lives. All right? If you don't have a prayer partner, lift your hand, and a Christian will come and stand with you. Sing with me just one time. After we sing it through, you'll be welcome to go. Hope to see you tonight at prayer at 6.30 and uh, the leaders at 5 and Wednesday night at that emergency seminar. God bless you. Sing it through one time before we go. This is the air I breathe. This is the air.